Blog Talk Radio. Just about everything you can see in a baseball game here in these 10 innings. 
And you know, I'm not trying to conjure up bad memories for you personally, but, but the rain delay, I don't I don't know if I remember a rain delay in the middle of a World Series game. Uh, but, you know, that kind of happening when it did, a natural delay because they're playing outdoors and the elements played a part. But it, it made me think back to the game with your 49ers and, and the Ravens when, you know, the power outage, however it came to be, happened in the Superdome because you just have something weird that playing in, playing a factor in the game that causes a delay. Of course, like I said, this game was this was natural because it was outdoors in Cleveland beside Lake Erie in November. So you know, it's different than the lights going out and, and a power outage. But you still had the players having to get used to the stoppage and then start back. So you have that going. Uh, and even if you're not playing any team, like you said, you, you had to get just kind of fascinated and, and caught up in the game. Uh, even, and I had – former Braves ties with the Cubs. Yeah, Jason Hayward, former Braves. David Ross, former Braves. Even if that wasn't the case, it was still a great game. But David Ross is the same age as you and I, and his final at-bat of his major league career is a home run in game seven of the World Series, which at the time I think put him up six to three. I, I think it gave him a little bit of insurance. Uh, with, I mean, Cleveland came back and, and tied it up anyway. But how awesome is that? You know, 39 years old, going out, and, and the last time you hit a baseball on a major league field, you go yard in game seven of the World Series. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, that is one of those storybook things you put up there with Jerome Bettis winning the Super Bowl uh, on yeah. his way out, Ray Lewis winning the Super Bowl on his way out. Uh, again, going back to that Ravens 49ers game. And as soon as that happened, as soon as the tart came out, that popped in my head. It, it throws you off. I have said on this show, uh, watching your team in the Super Bowl, it's it's really brutal. The game is disjointed versus a regular game, even a conference championship game. And when you throw in that weird, quirky power outage, and you're just sitting, it is it was unbearable. So I related to the Cubs and the Indians fans during that delay because, you know, your mind is kind of geared up for, okay, this is how this is going to go. And then you have this kind of uh, situation thrown out of the blue. So I went right there with you uh, on that. Uh, but like I said, it gave you everything you, you really wanted in a baseball game. The Cubs jumped out early, seemed destined to win. Joe Madden, made some moves that I thought were bewildering. And, and John Smoltz, you know, former Brave, covering the game, who I think was fantastic during the World yeah. Series as the color man with, with Joe Buck, who I think catches a little bit of grief unnecessarily. But when I listen to a color commentator, no matter what the sport, I look for someone who yeah, is personable, uh, obviously, but but gives you not just a reaction to what you have just seen, but will say, this is what I think so-and-so should do in this spot because of this. They can, they can tip your hand, give you something to look for that you might not ordinarily be looking for. And I think he did a fantastic job 
uh, as the color man, uh, you know, on on the uh, on the World Series. Uh, but some of those decisions that Madden has, even at the time, you're kind of scratching your head and you're saying, your, your team's rolling. I know it's game seven, but you don't want to overmanage. And I think he lucked out, you know, sending a, 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 a fatigue, a clearly fatigued Araldus Chapman back out there. Uh, I, I think he kind of tempted fate by doing that. You know, that was one of those things at the time you're saying, is, is he really doing that because of the workload that he had given Chapman the games before, you know, when the Cubs were up big. And that's the thing about baseball is starting pitchers change game to game, but how you use your relievers from game to game also works into it. You know, baseball managers have so many working parts that they have to deal with. Um, It's just right for second guessing, third guessing, and that kind of thing. But luckily for Madden, uh, the Cubs were able to be victorious. The city of Chicago got to cheer on the Cubs. And in and the in the curse, and if I may, two points about the Cubs. Is it okay if I get on my soapbox a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, real quick. All these Cub fans, all of a sudden, everybody wants to find Steve Barton, Bartman and forgive Steve Bartman. A couple points. It should not take a World Series championship for you all to be a decent, for you to be a decent human being. If you saw that 30 for 30 about Steve Bartman, it's heartbreaking. It is absolutely heartbreaking how his friends and the city and his beloved Cubs turned on him. That film broke it down. He wasn't the only one that was even reaching for the ball. And just so many factors, he caught more grief than any of the other decisions and any of the other plays that the Cubs players made or didn't make uh, in that NLCS. You know, some people try to compare him to uh, Bill Buckner. You know, Bill Buckner was a player on the field. This guy was just a fan in the stands doing what a fan does. He's had 13 years of grief, and now you want to reach out to him. No, I'm good. Second point. If I'm a Chicago White Sox fan, I'm a little upset when I look at what the media has done with the Red Sox ending their 86-year drought, the Cubs ending their 108-year drought. Overlooked is the White Sox went through a pretty significant drought of their own, and it's been completely overlooked. The White Sox, and you think about the movies Eight Men Out, Field of Dreams, Shoeless Joe, but they they have just totally been overshadowed by the Red Sox and the Cubs, and it's just it, it's funny. It, it, it's funny and it's kind of sad the way the national media build up the Cubs. You know, Chicago hasn't seen a World Series since 1900. Yes, they have. The White Sox just won. I remember it. I again, I remember this piece. You know, I, I think the White Sox kind of got overlooked a little bit, unnecessarily so. And I get fans would do that, but ESPN and Fox and some other uh, reputable sports companies, uh, enterprises, acting as if the White Sox didn't win the 2005 World Series when, you know, hello, yeah, they did. So 
those are my two takeaways uh, with the Cubs winning the World Series. And, and my thought on Bartman, and then I've got to give some love to C.O.S. team before we move on to, but my thought on Bartman, I, I wonder if, and it was, you know, playoff baseball, intensity, drama, you know, emotional, Cubs fans thought the drought might potentially end back then, but they were hoping. But if Moises Alou, I wonder if he doesn't act so angry and react that way towards Bartman, I wonder if it just kind of goes a little more unnoticed. He believed he oh, had a play he, on the ball, and he, you know, he, he looked up at him like, dude, and he, you know, he smacked, kind of smacked the ball and gestured at him, and I think that just, you know, was magnified and intensified throughout the stadium, and that immediately just put all the wrath on him uh, from Alou. If Alou just kind of, you know, jogs back to, I think, left field is what position he played back then. He just goes back to, you know, left field, uh, maybe – a few people might mess with him, but I don't think he just blows up into this, you know, the dude is just ostracized because of that, you know, grabbing at the ball like that. The, the, that 30 for 30, and I think everyone knows that, you know, my love of the 30 for 30s, I think they're fantastic uh, sports documentaries. I've yet to see one that's been really, really bad. Most are very, very well done. But the whole thing of having to get him out of his seat, get Bartman out of his seat, escort him through the stadium, get him out of the stadium after the game was over. Uh, and they're talking to this, this woman in charge of security personnel, how they had to dress him up like as an usher to get him out of the building. And just it is hard. his friends left him. The people he was at the game with actually, uh, you know, they all kind of left their seats together. But the woman said, the security lady said, by the time she came back, his friends were gone. And I'm thinking, this poor guy, you know, it's really heartbreaking. And for people to all of a sudden now say, oh, all's forgiven with Bartman. No, you should have been a decent person, you know, when you had the opportunity to be a decent person. And the majority, and I'm not going to say all, but the majority of Cub fans were not. Real quick, my highlight of the Bartman incident was I was on my honeymoon during this series. I watched the Bartman game uh, in Cancun watching the Spanish language feed. And for those of you who don't know, I don't speak Spanish fluently. So you've got the Bartman play and all that surrounds that on top of the announcers yelling in Spanish, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. Was it fair? I'm trying to figure out what what's going on watching this Spanish feed. That for me is how I watch the uh, the the quote unquote Bartman game. Wow, well that puts a whole new spin on everything. I would imagine. Oh, it was it was it was hilarious because I'm trying to figure it out. Like what is going on? What and, and you and you're talking about uh, Moises Alou being demonstrative, but. Uh, yeah, that's my highlight. But as you were saying, Theo Epstein, uh, whatever he's getting paid, 
may not be may not be enough. Uh, you know, I've kind of just poked, not really poked fun, but point out how the Sox, Red Sox, and the Cubs, you know, these curses or these long droughts, however you want to frame them, being the guy that ended both of those. Uh, and I'm not sure how contributors or executives get into the Hall of Fame. I think that gets you in the Hall of Fame. You know, you get the Red Sox three after 86 years. You get the Cubs their first after 108. That's a pretty good resume. And I know that both of those teams spent a lot of money. Uh, You know, baseball, no salary cap. But we see all the time teams that spend a lot of money there's a difference between spending money and spending it wisely, and, and he's done a fantastic job of building two franchises into World Series winners. Unbelievable. I mean, he was, he was Cooperstown bound after what he did for the Red Sox. I mean, uh, you already talked about Bill Buckner and how close they were in 86. That would, when, when the drought, the curse was 68 years old, 18 years later, the drought is 86 years old. And, you know, he orchestrated all of that along with, you know, Terry Francona, uh, you know, Ortiz and Johnny Damon and, and Pedro and all those guys, uh, Veritech, you know, to, uh, and the fact that they came down from down 03 to the Yankees to do it. <laughs> I mean, that, I think that, you talk about 30 for 30, that four nights in October, that might be my favorite 30 for 30. I might have seen that one. And well, the Lynn Bias is right up there, too. I've probably seen the four nights in October more than any of them. You know, where Dave Roberts has still second against uh, Mario Rivera, or else, you know, the rally never even starts. So many little things had to happen for them, you know, to mount that four-game streak to, to – to win that series, but he's he's he, he built that you know one in '04 and '07, and to do the same thing to replicate it to switch leagues and and take on an even bigger drought and more nationally known curse to make the local losers in the camps that is and what is he like 42 years old and he, he's done this twice. Uh, yeah. Cleveland needs to hire him next, you know, just to go ahead and, and take care of their drought as well, the, the Indians. Well, and, and the thing about all this, too, when these two franchises, this phrase gets tossed around a lot. I think it gets overused, as a lot of things do with sports lexicon. But that game seven, it was the quintessential game that you hate. One team had to win, one team had to lose. That was just a game that just – Oh, I mean, just a gut punch game, and and your heart goes out to, uh, you know, Cleveland fans. You know, they really didn't pick up World Series buzz until kind of late in the season as they went into the playoffs. Uh, you know, they were just kind of the hey, we're we're glad to be here kind of team. Uh, but that game was such a great game, uh, one of those, you know, you hate somebody's got to to lose this game. Uh, but Epstein, what he's been able – and the Cubs are built to do it again. I, I don't – they will be in the mix for the next couple of years, you know, provided people stay healthy. Uh, you know, there's always – I have a list 
that I kind of keep in my head. Uh, I call it the the Georgia Tech All-Stars. Like, people forget, you know, Georgia Tech actually made it to the NCAA championship game in 04 against Connecticut, you know, in the Mecca Okafor team. You forget they actually made it that far. Just like the Rockies made the World Series. Every time I see that, I'm like, well, yeah, they did. You know, it's one thing to kind of be there one year and be and not, you know, uh, be there the next. Uh, but I think the Cubs are going to be built uh, to last. And yeah, they're they're, they're super young. That nucleus is, is, I mean, is just ready made to take off. You know, Rizzo and Chris Bryant and um, Addison Russell, all those guys. Cleveland, Cleveland is. Sitting pretty good too, um, you know. That young pitchers, a couple guys were hurt. That Lindor kid is is really good. I think he's 21, 22 years old. So uh, I don't see the Indians falling off into oblivion anytime soon either. Uh, but we got to just, you know, congrats to the longtime Cubs fans. You know, went to school with some Cubs fans, and they've been waiting their whole life. Michelle Morton listens to the show every week. Big diehard Cubs fans. So congrats. Our guy, Roy Wood Jr., on the on Instagram and Twitter, he had the Cubs victory robe, an actual robe he wore it to Game 7 uh, in Cleveland. He was on Snapchat and Instagram in his victory robe, hashtag victory robing. So uh, he was all over the place. Congrats to him because, you know, he's been on the show a couple times talking about the Cubs, uh, and that victory robe was absolutely hilarious. So uh, congrats to all the Cubs. Their wait is finally over. Oh, yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. Too. And when you look at it, uh, kind of objectively, sports can be kind of dumb. You're, you're cheering people you don't really know, play a, a kid's game. But, but, but sports, it means something. And, and when your team can, can win that championship, that is something. Uh, I don't think it, is, it can, can cure all of society's ills. But you can bring – a city together just for a moment, uh, you know, fans together just for a moment. You know, we talk about the Big Blue Nation, and no matter where you go on earth, if you've got a Kentucky shirt or hat on, more likely than not, you will run into another Kentucky fan. It's just something that is just there, and 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 Cubs fans that have. You know, you watch the the O three collapse and and just years of wait till next year, and it's finally your year. That is huge. That is a big big thing, and that is why uh, that's why we love sports. Sure is. So, uh, had to recap the World Series. You know, it's already a week old, but this is our first chance to talk about it. Uh, it was a, a good series. Baseball media dance, you know, they're always in the bottom of the big three of the professional sports. Uh, so they finally had a good series on display. Uh, got a lot of good ratings, a lot of eyeballs back watching. So uh, good for them. Um, and we had to just go ahead and, and jump in and, and put our two cents worth in on it, even though it was last Wednesday uh, when it did include. Uh, we got tons more to talk about. We'll get uh, a quick break in. Uh, we got Kentucky football to talk about, Kentucky basketball to 
coming up, got another TV to go along with the resident TV. Tony Castillo will be here at 710. He is uh, from WBLV, 1180 AM in Knoxville, the voice of the common fan, long-time radio host. Uh, he'll be here to preview the Cats and the Balls. It's going to be a lot of fun as well, so stay tuned for that. We'll take a quick break right now. We'll be back to talk a lot of UK stuff. This is going to be Cats Talk. Wednesday, Vinny Hardy Say Brown, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. We'll be right back in just a couple of minutes. Friday, 
basketball games count. Even if Austin is coming to town, um, we've seen the two tune-ups against Clarion and um, wow, oh my goodness, we've seen uh, Asbury. Uh, I missed a lot of Asbury games. I think it was it was like 107 to 30 when I got home and turned on the television. Uh, we have my wife's grandmother's Sunday, so I missed a lot of that game. And it was already like, well, you know, jaw-dropping margin when we turned it on. Uh, but all the jokes and everything, I guess we really learned a lot from the Asbury game, learned a little bit more from Clarion, but... Um, even if Austin comes in Friday, and, and we're less than a week away from Michigan State, man. Stay to Michigan State game, TV. Well, I think the Hasbury game, here's here's the thing. Here's, here's the takeaway. Obviously, most points ever scored by a Kentucky basketball team, and that's saying something. Uh, you know, that's, you know, no matter the that's, – that's a, a headline grabber. Uh, De'Aaron Fox. I wanted to balk at folks saying he had John Wall speed, but my goodness, he might have John Wall speed. I mean, this team is, is – I'm excited. I'm excited. Again, the competition is going to get stronger. We got the tip-off, you know, uh, in a couple of days. And you're right, Michigan State is looming right around the corner, so we're going to find out a lot about this team here very, very quickly. Um, but it was a fun game to watch. It was just – and one thing, the Asbury kids, they didn't, they didn't quit. And, and if you've ever played any kind of competitive sport and you are getting your behind kick, there's the tendency to slump shoulders and, and, and finger point. But, but they kept playing. Their game was – the game plan was to get up, you know, 53s and, and this is how we're going to play. So definitely tip my hat to those kids because, I mean, they, they just ran into a buzzsaw. Um, I, you know, tweeted out, and I, and I think you saw, where we this was very reminiscent of the LSU game in 1996, the 86-point first half. Uh, but, again, that was on the road at an SEC school. And as Anthony Epps pointed out when he was on the show, uh, last month, this was this was a game that LSU had circled. You know, the previous trip to Baton Rouge was the was the thirty one point comeback game. Uh, we had beaten them in ninety five pretty handily, and LSU. This was a it was a, a you know if you remember correctly, it was one of the ESPN two kind of big Tuesday or big Wednesday, whatever you know, kind of big the second half of the doubleheader kind of thing. And LSU wanted that game. And, and you know, obviously we, we, we blew the doors off there. But uh, I think that Michigan State game, that will tell us a lot uh, about we'll start to see this team kind of develop the rotations. Cal's been playing with different lineups. Derek Willis, he is, he is proving me, again, I'm eating crow. Because when I saw him sign with Kentucky, I said, this is just one of these Kentucky guys. He's just going to be on the bench. No, he is a, he is a baller. He is a, 
uh, as the kids say, he is a baller shot caller out there. He's got some hops. He his 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 game is well rounded. Um, where you might have just thought, okay, he's just a spot up guy. He can put the ball on the floor and be effective. I thought last year he played effective defense. Not great on the ball defender, but he plays passing lanes very, very well. He's got some length. Uh, I love what he's bringing to the to the team. So as Cal kind of figures out his lineups, his rotation, it's going to be very fun to watch this team develop. And like you said, with Michigan State right there, the season is going to get kicked off uh, in a hurry. Yeah, it, it sure will. Um, I I think certainly after I turned on the TV, which I, I wasn't aware that he was, was having a pretty good game, Michael Motor hit a three, which I was like, whew, I was, I was like exhaling uh, so hard that he can you know, get shots to fall. We, we knew he was a shooter when he came in last year and uh, couldn't get his stroke on track. And, you know, I didn't know he's already had, you know, a, a good game. I uh, ended up with 20 points, I think. So I saw him hit a three. Uh, of course, you know, Sports Center, make sure everybody saw the dunk at the end. And you mentioned, you know, Asbury not quitting. Uh, the kid was still trying to contest and block and defend, you know, and ended up, you know, getting himself put on a poster for his efforts. Uh, but I was glad to hear Motor, you know, had, had some good numbers. I hope that continues. We talked about this already. Uh, hopefully he can uh, provide some shooting uh, from the perimeter. Whether it's a weakness or not, hopefully he can contribute uh, mightily to the perimeter shooting. And, you know, him going to the rack like that, that's, that's an added bonus. Uh, talks like his confidence is up. So hopefully you know, we've seen Willis have confidence, you know, where it ebbs and flows, but, but hopefully Motor can have confidence and uh, the more he sees shots go through the hole, the better. Yeah, so it was a very encouraging uh, effort uh, from the Cats. Uh, the uniforms, I'm still lukewarm about, but uh, <laughs> but I, the, the Cats look good. Uh, as good as you can, you know, given the competition, but uh, I, I'm encouraged moving forward, ready for the season to start. Not ready to take my eyes off football just yet, but I got my double vision looking at both, uh, looking at both uh, sports right now. Absolutely. And before we shift to football, um, and Gabriel, yes or no, you would definitely know what I'm about to ask. Maybe it's just me, but does he remind you? I'm not saying he's there yet or going to even be that type of player, but just from the glimpses we've seen in these exhibition games, he reminds me, you know, from his build, from his mannerisms, from the way he moves around on the court, he reminds me of Walter McCarty, tall, lanky, you know, skinny legs, uh, against, I think, Clarion, they kicked him from in the corner. He raised up and shot a three, and I thought he was going to, you know, step in, shoot mid-range or, you know, try to attack Brim. He raised up and, you know, popped the three from the corner and then was flying around, arms, you know, everywhere, hustling on defense. And, it, you know, just like McCarty, he would score and immediately he was guarding the ball on the inbound to start the 
full court press, you know, back in the nineties on those casino teams. I just saw shades of Walter McCarty from winning Gabriel, but I just wanted this you saw that as well. Yeah, the one thing about Gabriel and, and the the thing about Cal and these the really great classes that he gets, you can be a very good player and kind of get overlooked. Like I think that's what happened a little bit with you know maybe Marcus Lee, uh, you know his freshman year. You can be have all these accolades and get overlooked. William Gabriel is very very uh, he's very athletic. The one thing I like about him again I think that Walter McCarty kind of uh, you know that uh, comparison is it's is fitting. But Gabriel is very quick off the bounce uh, off the floor. Uh, I sound like one of those uh, NBA draft guys, but he can get two jumps off the floor while rebounding while the other guy, you know, is up once and is gathering himself very quick off the floor. It's going to be tough to keep him off. Cal is bad. I thought thought Seth Greenberg had just taken me a phone for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) But he can get off the floor really, really quick. So, Again, with this bunch of guys, with this group, Cal's got some—he's got some different lineups that he can put out there, and I, I don't really think we have seen that at Kentucky. Yes, we had the uh, platoons in, in 2015, but this is a little bit different because with the platoons, you pretty much were playing the same style, the, the same kind of way. But he can almost do situational type things with this team, with the versatility of the lineup. So I, I think Cal's going to have a lot of fun being a mad scientist and being really able to uh, adapt his lineups to, to whatever the opposing team is doing. And you're not going to see that, that drop-off uh, in, in, in quality of player on the floor. Uh, my only concern with with Fox is you don't want to go too fast. And we've seen that with a lot of Cal's point guards uh, where you're fast, but you, you get in too big of a hurry and you have to wait for that play to develop. A great point guard is like a great running back. You've got to vary your speed. You've got to let things develop before you make your move. Uh, you're a point guard guy, so you know you, you, if you watch like Tyler Ulis last year, it's full speed, half speed, hesitation, dribble, that kind of thing to dictate what's going on. We saw that with John Wall; he was fast with the ball, but almost too fast, and got early in the season got himself into a lot of trouble because he was so fast. But you, when, once you learn to vary it a little bit, I think that's a good thing. And the same thing with Brandon Knight, the same thing with uh, Marcus Teague. I think we can all say in 2012, when the light bulb went off for Teague, I think after that Indiana game, Kentucky became a totally different team. And I think the one thing I like about these freshman heavy teams is once you see that light bulb go off, once these guys get it, that's, that's next level stuff. So, uh, there's still some things to look at as we get ready for Michigan State, but I'm encouraged. 
uh, with what I've seen, again, can't look at the level of competition, but the Cats have played really, really well. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking forward to Friday at 7 uh, when it kicks off for real, and that'll be there before we know it. Um, we, for the first time in a while, have to talk about a, a loss in football. Uh, and it's it's not like a blowout where they were dominated or embarrassed. It's not a loss where you feel hopeless and you're wondering where things are going to go as far as the program is concerned. Disappointing that they, they came up short against Georgia, 27-24. Several opportunities, you know, to, to knock them out, to kind of put them away. Uh, there was a, a bit, in my opinion, a bit of a lull in that third quarter where you know, it seemed like it was 21-13 forever, 21-16. You know, still going another touchdown. A little more separation, and Kentucky would already be bowl eligible. But it doesn't seem like it's one of those deflating losses for the players or for the fans. You know, you still got uh, some more games to go. You have a chance to do something here against Tennessee. The Georgia game made me nervous. I said it last week. You know, been in this position before. Uh, even had Jake Roos on. He talked about it. He thought Kentucky was going to win. Uh, and they have several chances to do so. Like I said, just weren't able to get that final knockout because they, they had punched Georgia into the corner. They just weren't able to, to pay over. Well, and and this is my kind of thoughts on the Georgia game. It was it was just a game, and what I mean by that is it wasn't necessarily an indictment on the coaching staff, an indictment on the players. It was just two teams in the SEC playing football. What frustrates me is, and again, I've been a Kentucky football fan for a while. You have two. There are times where Kentucky football feels snake bit, and you see something happen, and you say, well, that's Kentucky football. But that's not what happened against Georgia. Look, there are going to be games where the coaches call a play. It doesn't work. There's going to be plays where the other team, I think Bidette, with that kind of, he caught it, and the other guy just took it, Interception. I thought that kind of changed things a little bit. But those plays happen. That's not a, oh, man, Kentucky football snake bit. That's just a football play. And I think at some point as fans, and I know Kentucky football has, has hurt us a lot. We've seen a lot. But we need to get to the mindset where every single game is not an indictment on the coaching staff or the players. Obviously, you can't look at any game, win or lose, and say, you know, this play call should have been different or how can this guy make this play at this point in time? That's going to happen. What I like about it is, yeah, there was that lull in the third quarter you talked about. But even with that, I find myself not really anticipating that loss. 
until Georgia started once, even when Georgia started driving with time running out, I'm thinking, okay, we can still make a play to force overtime. That's just my mindset at this point. Kentucky made plays. Georgia just made a couple of more. And that's all it is to it. And I think that's going to happen. I say that I wanted to win that game. And I think we had our opportunities, opportunities to win it, but it wasn't some curse or some, this is Kentucky football. It was just a football game that we lost. For the first time, maybe all season, or if not all season, definitely in, in quite some time, um, the receivers, like you mentioned, the Bidette play, uh, Garrett Johnson had a fumble. It was, you know, some drops and some miscues from the receivers at crucial times. Uh, they kind of made it to where things didn't quite go Kentucky's way. If you remember last year and the year before, you know, drops were such a thing, game in and game out, you know, Hasn't been the case so far this year. Had a bit of a, a bumpy ride against Georgia. Uh, the Bedette play, where you know the ball hit them in the hands and the chest, and then bounced to the Georgia defender who was burnt on a post route, burnt. And just in that situation, I'm actually praying for a drop. You know, oh, if we could just revert the last year, just drop it. <laughs> don't don't <Ricochet laughs> it into, into his hands. You know, just chalk it up as an incompletion and live to fight another down. But that's not what happened. Um, but, you know, the guys are ready to uh, come to Tennessee and get the bad taste out of their mouth. The receivers are. Um, a lot of people here are kind of leery about Tennessee's DBs. Uh, Kentucky's receivers will have some chances in one-on-one coverage. Uh, to make plays again, we've seen that Steven Johnson can consistently throw a beautiful deep ball. So uh, they'll have opportunity. And Johnson uh, redeem themselves. That might be too strong, but to uh, make some positive plays and explosive plays to put last week, you know, in the rearview mirror for good. Well, and, and they are going to have those opportunities because Benny Snell out of the Wildcats, not doing anything fancy, is, is is just grinding on folks. I mean, six, seven straight plays, he's pounding that rock and, and grinding it down. So those plays are going to be there. You know, even if it's not out of the Wildcat, which, you know, I'd expect at some point to see a little bit of trickeration, as the guys say, out of that Wildcat, because typically it's just kind of – Snell up the middle. I think there was that jet sweep they got uh, Bidette on uh, last week as well. Uh, those plays are going to be out there uh, because the running game has been so good and forcing teams to put definitely seven, sometimes eight men in the box, you're going to have those one-on-one matchups. And at that point, the receivers have to win those. That it's got to, that's a gots to have situation. Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to how they can take advantage of those matchups uh, in Knoxville this weekend. Kentucky is running for an average of 215.8 yards per game, which is 55th in the nation. 
174 yards, point six passing uh, for a total of 390.3 a game, 137th in the nation in total offense, total yards. Um, Tennessee was the odds-on favorite to win the East. Um, I even picked them to win the East because, I mean, they had everybody back. They were very close last year. They had that experience, and then, you know, you expect progress to be made. Looked like the East was kind of there. They haven't played out that way. Um, they lost to South Carolina, which was a head-scratcher, even with the injuries. You know, they came off a bye. It looked awful at South Carolina uh, and have put themselves kind of in a bad spot as far as winning the East is concerned. They have a lot of injuries, but like I kind of feared, they're going to get some guys back. Uh, after the South Carolina loss, week before last, you know, I was telling all of them, I wish we could play y'all Sunday, the next day, or the next Monday of that week because you had all the day like <laughs> You had all this Jalen Hurd stuff, which that news was so shocking. That kind of overshadowed the fact that they lost. The drunk, I mean, it was it was rough down here. The loss, the player departure, with a lot of stuff we'll have, you know, ask uh, Tony Basilio about here in about 20 minutes. Um, it, it was they were they were very vulnerable. Come on down from Lexington and play in Neyland, you know, yesterday. Uh, but they kind of were able to ride it a little bit. They had a, had a non-conference game against Tennessee Tech, and, of course, they blew them out. Uh, Alvin Kamara, uh, who may be their best running back, is going to be back. Has looked better than Jalen Hurd all year anyway. Is back. Uh, Cam Sutton, their best DB, may potentially be back too. Um, but we'll you know, ask him about that as well uh, when he's on. But it, it, it doesn't. Look like, you know, it's going to be one of those more often than not beatdowns that we've seen in this series. You know, the past two or three years, you know, Tennessee hung half a hundred. You know, last year's fifty-two to twenty-one or fifty-something to fourteen. Seen that all down through the years when when we were teenagers. You know, the, the whole streak that finally was ended in two thousand eleven. Uh, we seen a lot of Tennessee. Uh, in Lexington and Knoxville. Kentucky can come down here and play with them, since Kentucky can come down here and run the ball on them. Uh, they have a lot of D linemen out, and they have some. They have a lot of vulnerable uh, areas. You know, Kentucky exploited, you know, over the course of 60 minutes. It, it, it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. Kentucky kind of grinds things down. We've seen these, you know, eight, nine, ten play drives, like you said, where they're just running big snail down people's throats. Can they do that, you know? And that's one of the big reasons why they're in the game. They, you know, they can keep their offense on the field. It won't be three and out and then give up big plays and get the defense tired and, you know, rinse and repeat over and over again. I, I see it being a real, real close game. Well, you know, I hope uh, you're right, and we'll go into detail about uh, Tennessee when our guest comes on uh, and, and kind of make those predict- predictions. But I'm I'm feeling good. Uh, this team, yes, I know they, they, they lost against Georgia, but this team has me kind of believing in 
you can see that they believe in each other. They believe in the coaching staff. The coaching staff, again, has done a very remarkable job of, of turning this season around. I, you know, life is all about expectations, and and for folks to keep saying, you know, same old Kentucky, it is not. It it really isn't. Uh, and we can talk about well, Georgia wasn't your typical Georgia team. Well. We were in that game, and I know it's not a moral victory kind of thing, but sometimes you just lose a ball game, and, and I think that's what happened on uh, this past Saturday. They, uh, they they made the play they had to make. They made the drive they had to make with the game tied, you know, to put themselves in that position. Uh, yeah, I think you had to them for that. Um, but, you know, they scored first. Probably thought they could, you know, take the crowd out of the game. It was up seven nothing. It was Kentucky answers, and you know they didn't fold. They didn't back down. They never played like they were out of the game, and never played like they were defeated. None of that, like you said, you know, where the fans or the players, you know, where it looks hopeless. It looks like a desperate situation. That was never the vibe at all. Um, you got Coach Cal texting Mark Stoops after the game, you know, losing things. But, you know, we have hope. Thanks to you, you know, kind of what you've done, we have hope. And that's all you want. For years there's been, you know, <laughs> more often than not, you you didn't have hope. You you just kind of knew you were going to take your lunch. It's going to be a long season. And there have been a lot of long seasons. This doesn't feel that way. And speaking of the crowd, you've you got to give props to the crowd at Commonwealth. Saturday, it was, you know, it was lit, like you want to say, as the kids say, it was lit all night long. <laughs> um, it, it, was a, it was a crazy weekend. I, I, I missed, the, missed the start of the Asbury game, was away, and, and got home and, and caught some of it on TV. But a buddy had a phone, so I watched it on his phone while we were out and about. Um, and then when we were driving home, you know, pick it up on, on Sirius XM Radio here, Tom Leach and the, the crowd in the background behind Tom Leach and Jeff Coro on the radio, the raucousness of Commonwealth came through the radio. That has not often been the case. In a lot of Saturdays when I'm at work and, you know, put the game on high heart, that's not the case. You could hear it. You could feel how loud it was. Uh, you could the stadium just rocking start to finish you know and the, the crowd was alive it was buzzing and you gotta tip your hat to the crowd for that they were in it it's a shame that, that they weren't able to witness the victory but that's what you want to see from the crowd you know game in and game out at home yeah and, and watching it on TV uh, Brent Musburger Jesse Palmer were remarked about that you know, what, when they weren't commentating and commenting on the LSU Alabama game that was also taking place, that was a little off-putting. Uh, but there was a, there was a different feeling uh, with the crowd, and for the lack of extended success at the football program, the fans have been there. That was a big-time game. I expect the uh, Austin P game to be just as rowdy, one more home game, 
uh, hopefully with with bowl eligibility already in the bag to go out. Let's have a celebration. Let's have some fun. Uh, and I'm looking forward to, to going to that one myself. But the crowd was fantastic. I have heard from a lot of people. Best home crowd in a long time. They had pom-poms. They did the sign thing where they spelled Go Big Blue. Uh, yeah, let, that, is, that is what Commonwealth Stadium should be game in, game out. And with the Cats being competitive, I think it can be game in, game out. Uh, I think Commonwealth Stadium can become a tough place to play. Yeah, and that's what you hear all throughout the SEC, minus Missouri and Vanderbilt, because both of their stadiums, I mean, honestly, are are just kind of crappy and kind of small, and I guess exceptions to the rule. But you go anywhere else, you know, you go to Tennessee, Alabama, Ole Miss, Florida, anywhere, LSU, Mississippi State with their cowbells, you know, haven't been to all those states personally, but when you tune in, you can hear that, the crowd having an impact uh, on the TV or on the radio. Or if you you know, are there, you know, you feel it yourself. Been to several games there, you know, Tennessee with the one game at Auburn. And and that's how you want your crowd to be. You know, they're, they're into it, uh, making noise throughout. It's, it's not like they they feel like it's a burden to get up on third down and, okay, just got to make a little noise for the opposing offense. It, no, you know, they they know to be rowdy and have fun and to, to try your best as a fan to do what you can <laughs> to try to help the team win. Oh yeah, you 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 make it, you give it that atmosphere, and it was like that on Saturday. And again, I know the Cats lost; they didn't win. Obviously, I wanted them to win, but it was a it was a great game. It was a good game for the Cats uh, and for the fans. And I look forward to that that last home game against Austin P. Definitely, definitely. Um, I'll shift real quick back to baseball. We- Talked a lot of baseball uh, at the beginning, World Series and all that. And it, it's always weird because they do all their awards after the season is over. But your Baltimore Orioles, their closer, Zach Britton, converted 47 saves out of 47 save opportunities. So he didn't blow a save at a point. ERA, and he wasn't listed as a side young candidate. He wasn't on the ballot to have an opportunity to even receive votes to win the side young. Uh, Harold Reynolds said it may be one of the greatest snubs ever. So your thoughts, as a fan of the Baltimore Orioles, you got this guy who was lights out. When he came into the game, the game was over. He came in 47 times. He was shaking hands with your catcher and Buck Showalter and everybody 47 times. So that meant the Orioles had won the game. How could he not be on the side of the That 
that that's one of these things. I, I love baseball, but some of the the mindset uh, of these old time folks, the the play it the right way. Closers are important, and when you have a closer that becomes automatic, it's it's a game changer. It really is. It changes, and I talked about this earlier. All the decisions that the uh, manager has to make. If you've got a, a, a shutdown closer, and you say, you know what, we can we only have to really play eight innings because this guy is lights out. That changes the complexion of the game, and at the very least, he should have been on the ballot. That's the the frustrating thing for a lot of baseball fans. Yeah. You you get into debates about the DH, and David Ortiz retired this year, his Hall of Fame credentials mostly as a DH. Well, the DH has been around for a long time, but a lot of baseball folks talk about like it just got made up. You know, baseball has shifted from your starters going eight or nine innings every time out to the closer has become a viable option. A, a, a integral part to the team And you see that reflected in salaries And that kind of thing And to not give someone who's 47 for 47 Not give him at least the benefit of Just getting a few votes I think it just does baseball fans uh, A huge disservice And like you said At least put him on the ballot And let him get some votes and, you know, people would say, ah, oh, he's a reliever. He's not going to win, but, you know, give him some votes. He may have won. I just I just Googled it real quick. You know, Eric Gagne for the Dodgers, he had a run a few years back where, you know, nobody could touch him. In 2003, let's see. Yeah, 2003, he won the Cy Young. A reliever won it. So he was the first. Relief pitcher in 11 years to win the Cy Young. This is word for word from the AP article. Easily beating San Francisco's Jason Smith for a National League honor. So Gagne was 55 of 55. He received 28 of 32 first place votes. So this was 2003. So we've seen it happen in this millennium. But prior to that, it was 1992. But the still modern era of baseball, you know, my Braves lost the World Series to Toronto that year, I, I believe. So it, it's happened twice in 24 years, and this guy can't even get on the ballot? That's ridiculous. And and the thing to keep in mind, you know, Baltimore was in the hunt. It, it's not like, uh, for whatever reason, you know, we like to kind of frown on guys that put up, you know, these big gaudy numbers um, on losing teams. But those wins, they were deep into a pennant chase. It's not as if he, he, it was just, you know, the lowly, you know, whoever that was out of contention at the all-star break. And I think that has to factor into it too. I know there's no way you can, Attach a number to that But I think you have to look and see Okay this guy going 47-47 uh, while in a Pennant race I, I think Should carry a little bit of weight uh, But that's just me 
that's my opinion. Baseball's weird like that. Uh, every now and then you get this a weird little quinky dink from uh, baseball that just makes you shake your head. And just to add to that, you know, Gunning won in '03. The Dodgers didn't win the World Series. I mean, he he did his thing and 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 have them, you know, have some good teams. But it wasn't like, well, you know, the Dodgers won the World Series in 03, and then Eric Gagne went to Cy Young. Kind of a similar situation. You know, um, Baltimore is in the hunt. They're in the playing game, right? They had to play. Yeah. Yeah. They were in the playing game. They didn't win the World Series. The Dodgers didn't either. But that guy could win the Cy Young, and this guy's not on the ballot. So it's just. A lot of inconsistencies, and like I said, we've seen it happen a couple times in our lifetime where relievers have won Cy Young Award. Closers have won the Cy Young Award. So uh, for him to be completely omitted uh, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But if if, if that's a soapbox, if that's my soapbox, so be it. I kind of jump on one. I think I at least put one foot on the soapbox. I'm not even an Orioles fan, but that was still – Ridiculous, and I know with you being an Orioles fan, uh, you concurred that it was ridiculous. So I had to throw that out there because we're going to take us a quick break and uh, try to contact Tony Basilio and have him on to talk some cash with some balls. We'll be right back. Another break coming right up. You listen to Cat Talk Wednesday, Vinnie Hardy and Terry Brown, Brown Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Yeah, you can't buy happiness. I mean, that made me happy for a little while. <laughs> but once you fall in love, it's a different Now that I've found that, the world seems a lot better. Because I can't give a
Welcome back to Tech Talk Wednesday. Vinny Hardy, Terry Brown, 845-277-9373. TV, Terry, and Louisville, I'm going to make sure I got you because I got TV, Tony Basilio, and Knoxville on the line. I'm going to make sure you know me and my pencil of technical difficulties. I'm going to make sure everything's cool. I still got you, <laughs> I, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. TV times two. I'm I'm ready. All right. Then we will welcome the other TV on TV times two. Uh, he's the voice of the Common Fan down here in Knoxville, Tennessee, 1180 AM WVLV. Mr. Tony Basilio, longtime radio voice, is joining us to talk some cats involved. Tony, man, thank you so much for, for taking the time to jump on that show. We really appreciate it, man. How's it going this evening? Uh, it's an absolute honor, man. It's an absolute pleasure. Great, great night to be alive, guys. It certainly yes. is. Thanks for coming on. Yes, sir. I've often, Tony, I'm often surrounded with, with Terry Brown, my co-host, who is a 49ers fan. We've had a lot of guests on who mm-hmm. are 49ers fans like himself, so I'm kind of a glutton for punishment. <laughs> Never had another TV on before. So we got we got Terry Brown, Tony Facilio. Yep. So that's, yep. that's a first for the show. Well, and, and, and Terry and myself have something else in common. We both have had Chip Kelly uh, step in and ruin our NFL teams because the uh, longer he's there, the more he'll ruin them. Now, I don't think he's going to stick around long there because he's a disaster on the, on the NFL level, and I'm sure Terry would agree yeah. with that when you watch him because what, what Chip Kelly does is he's one of these guys that's smarter than the room. And so those guys kill me yeah. because where I come from, I want to keep my defense off the field, and that guy doesn't care. He'll, he'll, he, his defense can play 75% of the game. You can't tell me by the end of a 16-game schedule, your defense will be fried if you do that. Yeah, I, I, as Vinny will tell you, when the hire came in, I, was, I wouldn't even say cautiously optimistic. I was just cautious because I didn't get it with what the Niners yep. were trying to do at the time and, and looking at this season. And for the second straight season, Vinny knows they sucker me in by winning the first game and I come on yep. the show and I get, and I get excited and, and we can go to the tape, as they say, and I can say, I can see eight, maybe nine wins, but it's just been just a disaster this season and I don't see it turning around. So I'm right there with you. Now he'll be back in college because um... – you know, NFL players, grown men, they don't respond to a guy like that, just the way it is. And, uh, and not to get on the segue, but I think that is why a lot of the college coaches don't succeed in the in the pros, which is why, you know, P.J. Carlissimo, great college coach, gets choked in the NBA. You can't talk to grown men the way you talk to college kids. But that's for another show. We'll, we'll, we'll table that one, Vinny. You're right. Or, or Rick Pitino up there where Terry is in, in Louisville. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. You can do some things with college kids you can't do with pros. So uh, mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. I agree with you there. Mm-hmm. I was sitting here thinking, since we got TVs on, if, if I was able to get a VH on, I guess it would just have to be like Bonnie Holiday, former Packers D-line, and that's the only guy I can come up with. <laughs> that's, that's just me. Uh, <laughs> there you uh, go. Tony, man, we we uh, we got Kentucky coming down to Knoxville mm-hmm. um, to, to play the ball. 
a lot going on down here in Knoxville. I live up the road from you in Morristown. We were talking about that before the air, before we, we brought you on. The, the Jalen Hurd situation, I had a lot of questions about him, but now, you know, I'm, I'm kind of shifting that because he's no longer on the team. But what's, what's the mindset right now? Do they kind of get things patched up with the win and, you know, playing Tennessee Tech to kind of refocus the rest of the way? What, what's the vibe right now? You know, they say they did, but um, here's my thing with Tennessee this year. They just haven't looked right all season. They've had patches where they've played real well. You know, chemistry is a word, guys, we use in sports a lot, and those of us who follow things. And certain certain groups have great chemistry, and for certain groups, they just can't get out of their own way. And I think that uh, Tennessee right now, chemistry-wise, they've just, for whatever reason, haven't been able to patch it together this year. And and I'll be completely honest with you guys, um, Saturday scares me. And Saturday scares me for a couple reasons. First of all, you can't, when you're Tennessee, you can't keep having the injuries they've had, and eventually it doesn't catch up to you. And I think it did in part in that South Carolina game. Now, you guys saw South Carolina, and you manhandled them. And I just can't, I can't believe Tennessee lost to South Carolina. The truth is, Tennessee didn't lose to South Carolina. South Carolina smashed Tennessee. And the Vols had a kick return, which made the game look closer than it was. But that was an all-time bad, bad effort by a team that's supposed to be a two-touchdown favorite. And here they are Saturday, two-touchdown favorite. And I'm going to tell you something. Kentucky's tough. Kentucky run the ball. Kentucky has that uh, freshman back. And this game, it scares me a little bit. I'll be really honest with you. This game scares me. Kentucky shows up, it's good. They've been able to you know, grind opponents and, and sustain long drives. Tennessee is without, you know, um, McKenzie, Danny O'Brien, Shot Tuttle on that defensive line. Do you, you see Kentucky being able to just kind of run it right at them? Absolutely. There, there's no question. Look, if Kentucky executes in that running game, they're going to be able to really shorten the game. They're going to be able to stay in the game. And they're going to be able – to make this thing really, really, really interesting. And, you know, Kentucky should have beaten uh, Georgia the other night. Yeah. If Kentucky yeah. believed a little more, guys, if they, I think they blinked, to be honest with you, because they should have won that game. I mean, that's a game that's, – that was low-hanging fruit for them <laughs> in retrospect and one that they let get away. Think about this. They win that game, guys. They have a chance to come into Neyland Stadium for a 40-year special season. I mean, not since the days of Kersey back in the 70s. Yeah. Um, we're talking about uh, the Wildcats here. They could have had a really, really special season if they would have won that game. Yeah, and and we, we talked about that last week, looking at the last couple of games. And I think Kentucky getting to a bowl is a good thing, and I don't want to poo-poo that at all. But you beat Georgia, you beat Tennessee, and now you've taken a quantum leap forward. Even though the SEC Mm -hmm. East is down, I I think you kind of put Mm -hmm. yourself in a good position moving forward. And that's why I I definitely want this win Saturday. But the the history of this series just makes me nervous. Just makes me a little bit nervous. 
<laughs> well, you know, and, and the Vols are a two-touchdown favorite for a reason. I mean, they have, look, they've got some great athletes. Josh Dobbs, if you if you get him out of the pocket and you get him on the edge and you let him do what he does, which is to say he's better in mayhem, you know, than he is in the pocket. For whatever reason, when Tennessee played South Carolina, the Vols, not South Carolina, but the Vols, turned him into a pocket passer. And, guys, that's not his game. It's not his game. It's not who he is. You know, he's kind of a rambling, gambling man, and, and he's at his best when he's, uh, when, when he's doing that. So uh, I just thought it was really uh, – I just thought it was really uh, sad of what happened in that game. As far as the Tennessee Tech game goes, people are talking about how the Vols played a complete game, blah, blah, blah. I mean, how do you know? I mean, when you play a team that bad, right. and God bless those kids, they try. But that's like in basketball, you go out and beat somebody 80 to 25 and feel good about yourself. I mean, how do you know what you have? You don't know what you have. You don't know what you have till you, till you, till you play somebody that's, that can play a little bit. And Kentucky can play a little bit. We're talking with Tony Basilio, voice of the common fan on 1180 AM WVLZ. Speaking of Dobbs, Tony, is he, I mean, we, we saw him have a good year last year. We, we saw Tennessee, uh, you know, kind of be unable to close some games out. You know, three games to see the seniors that are 11 and 1. So they're overwhelming favorites to win the East coming in this year. And it looks like he's kind of regressed. Is, is he still Tennessee's best chance to win? And has he been their best chance to win all year at quarterback? You know, the thing about Dobbs that really drives you crazy is he does things that um, a senior quarterback shouldn't do. But then he's a guy that, that will make that extra play for you. I mean, the guy wants to win so badly. And he's such a smart guy and he's such a leader. But he does do some crazy, crazy things on the field. And he had three turnovers uh, alone in that Carolina game the other night. And that's the thing about the Tennessee team is they don't value the football. They just don't. And they haven't all year. And that's why this game kind of concerns me because it's a noon start. This team's not a fast starting team. And, and I'm, I'm scared with Kentucky's running game. If they come out there and they get off the bus, get up a couple scores, I mean, this thing could get really, really, I'm talking like seriously interesting in the old stadium on Saturday. I don't know if it will, but I have a weird feeling that it may. Well, hope you're correct. Hope you're correct. On, speaking of, of the defense, you know, uh, and, of course, they, they get Kamara back since we and Cam Sutton. But defensively, I already mentioned a lot of the guys on the D-line that are out and the vulnerabilities, vulnerabilities in the secondary. Which unit is more vulnerable, the D-line or the secondary? Which one is the most suspect unit of that defense? You know, pick your poison, guys, because the secondary has been just a horror show. I mean, it's it's one penalty after another, and they give up one long pass after another. And, I mean, this is one of the weirdest division-winning football teams you'll ever see because – the truth is they're going to win a division this year if they win it, mostly because they're pretty resilient and pretty hard-headed. But on defense, they haven't exactly lit the world on fire with any of the units. Now, their linebacking core has been beat up all year with injuries. 
their um, defensive line you guys talked about, Tuttle and McKenzie out. Um, and they've even had to slide uh, one of their uh, rush ends inside this week. So that's a concern. I'm telling you, this game, this game's not a very good matchup for Tennessee. They better play well defensively, or offensively rather, and they better play a clean game. Kentucky's going to be able to make some plays on the Vols. Tennessee better bring its A game on offense. And with Kamara back, I think they're hoping that they can make enough big plays to get by this one. And, then, and like, like Terry said, you know, we've seen a lot of lopsided blowouts. I mean, last year in Lincoln, 2014 in Knoxville, mm-hmm. uh, 2013, where Josh Dobbs is just with his legs run circles around the Kentucky defense. Uh, we, you know, and, you know, historically, the, the blowout losses, the lopsided things like that uh, in this series, it does had the potential to be interesting, like you mentioned. Um, another question I have as far as Tennessee is concerned, you know, they haven't blown out anybody, like you said. The Appalachian State game, fortunate to win. Ohio didn't blow them out. And like you said, this team is a lot, you know, to win the East. You know, that was the pick of the summer. Mm-hmm. Where, where would Tennessee be? without the wide receiver, Juwan Jennings. I know Malone is good, but where would they be without Juwan Jennings this year? Come on, man. They would be um, they would be fighting for a winning record right now, truthfully. Yeah. That's what that guy means. That, that, guy, that guy is a straight, and I mean straight baller. That's what he is. He's a guy you throw on the field, and if there's a big play to be made, he's going to make it. And he loves contact too. That's the thing that separates him from a lot of, a lot of guys that play that position, is he almost feeds off contact. And there have been times where he's initiated contact. There was a play in the Georgia game, or it might have been A and M, but he caught a ball over on the, over on the side near midfield, right near the uh, out of bound on the boundary, and he he had the ball in his in his one arm, and he with his other arm he took himself and went into the the defender that was going to tackle him and he picked the defender up and slammed him to the ground with the ball in his hand. I mean, this guy, he's cut from a different cloth and I just think he's a really, really special playmaker that you see in college football. One of the reasons why I love college football is that college football allows playmakers to make plays, unlike the NFL, where all they do is throw flags I mean, the NFL right now, guys, I don't know if you all agree with me, but this year, that is some unwatchable nonsense we're seeing in the NFL. And in college ball, guys like Juwan Jennings can can shine, and that's exactly uh, what he's done. So if Tennessee's going to make plays Saturday, he's going to make them. And you were talking about Dobbs before. You know, one thing that's interesting about Dobbs this year is that he's a different Josh Dobbs. He's not running around like he was in the past. And I don't know whether it's that he's hurt, that it's an accumulation of the blows. Because you guys know when you play that game on an edge, the way he's played it, eventually that takes its toll on your body. It just does. And in this league, it really takes its toll on your body. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm talking with Tony Basilio from 1180 AM WZLZ here in Knoxville. 
Voice of the Common Fan at Tony Basilio on Twitter. Got the website TonyBasilio.com. You do something on the site every day. You know Tony's talking point. And today you still got Tennessee winning out. So I guess you're picking a narrow win. Yep. On Kentucky, over Kentucky, but you also talked about new hires as far as Chancellor and AD and, and Bush yep. Jones maybe having to, uh, if he gets to Atlanta, potentially rolling on out if all these other changes are, are on the horizon. Tell us a little bit about all those things. Butch Jones is, um, he's a really insecure guy. You know, um, I mean, he really thinks he's under pressure right now. He has he any pressure. He loses Saturday. He's going to see a brand of pressure that he's never seen in his life. And he takes everything personally. He's told the media he's going to um, – he's got a uh, list he's going to put in his back pocket. He said earlier this year – that was last year. He said, I got a list I'm keeping in my back pocket. And then he also said that he um, – the other line he said this year, he said something about um, um, we're watching or whatever. This guy has rabbit ears. Look, you can't do a job at that level and be super sensitive to criticism. You just can't. You can't do what I'm doing and be super sensitive to criticism. You know, in this day and age, people are going to get their say. Yeah. They just are. You can't control the – you can't control the narrative like you used to be able to because no. it, 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 that's just not the way it works. And I, I'm right with you. If you're going to coach at a big-time university, and I think uh, Tennessee I, – I don't think – I know Tennessee qualifies as that. You, you can't be sensitive to every perceived slight, especially you know once your team, if it starts to underperform and you've got to got no. that pressure, you're going to hear about it. I mean, yep. that's the way – you know, we love Coach Cal here at Kentucky, but if he drops yep. a game to Michigan State and drops the Kansas game, drops the UCLA, okay, all right, we love you, Cal, and we we love those banners you put up there, but you're going to hear something. You're going to have some tough questions that you're going to have to answer, and, and you can't be sensitive about that. No, and the truth is the SEC is a meat grinder. Look. This league has chewed up far more accomplished coaches. As my one of my uh, esteemed co-hosts said today, I bring some different guys with me during the week, but the guy I sit with on Wednesday, Dr. Sean Sinclair, said, yeah, this is a league that's chewed up national championship coaches and spit them out. I mean, it surely could chew up a Butch Jones. And here's, and here's the thing. The reason I write what I write on the blog, I'm not just making something up, and I'm not putting it up there just to make people think, oh, you're just trying to get attention. I, not really, no. What I, I write what I, I write what I think is going on, and his agent is openly shopping him uh, in that industry to now he might be trying to get him a better deal, but I doubt that because Butch is uh, Butch is really sensitive, and this thing feels like the Conzo Martin did Conzo Martin deal did wow. uh, when he was disgruntled and got out of town. I'm, and the, going back to the sensitive stuff, I, I know this has happened in you know, various different times, but after the, the South Carolina loss that Monday, I saw mm-hmm. everybody tweeted out. Cause I was at work, so I was back and forth beside the radio. What was the exchange during his press conference 
did a lady leave? He snapped at somebody. It was about, bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Some lady from uh, Channel Six, a, a, a TV reporter there, and I guess she's new in town. She asked him a question about, "Do you feel like you're under fire?" And he said, "Well, no." Which that ought to suffice, you know. No. I can respect that. And so, instead of just leaving it at that, he said, guys, you know, look. He said, there is no problem here. Which the fans, what the fans want to hear after a loss like that is, I own it. I know you all feel the pain. We're going to get this thing fixed. That's what everybody wants to hear. What's what Jones do? He says, there is no problem. It's no big deal. We win Saturday. We're going to be bowl eligible, which made people matter. And then he said, "It's just like that. It's just like that. Just like that. Um, that that that. Uh, what do you what do you call her? That young female reporter. He talks like a cop, which Jones does. He said, it's just like that young female reporter. She asked her question and she left. Where is she now? As if she's got to sit there and listen to him. I mean, people can pop in and out on you again. The world doesn't revolve." Around you, you revolve around the world, and uh, somehow this guy is—you uh, know—he does a lot of things well, but that whole thing with the sensitivity—that's just not one of them. That's just not one of his strong suits. He is a, and he is like an open wound. I'm telling you. Mm. I'm gonna skip gears real quick. I just saw on Twitter. I don't know how prevalent or common knowledge it is in Knoxville. But Sheldon Williams and former law Kenneth Parker are getting a divorce, and he wants her to pay spousal support. Yes. What's going on with that? Yes. I don't know anything about that, but I love stuff like that. Stir it up, man. Stir it up. I'll tell you what, guys. Hey, Candace Parker's pretty now. What do you all think? Yeah, I would say so, yeah. Yes, you brought it up. But if I'm ranking all-time, Lady Vaughn, let me. I'm just gonna go ahead and throw it out there. I'm going one, one A. However you want to do it, I'm going Nikki Caldwell, Brittany Jackson, but but Candace is coming right up a distance. She's right. She's in that next tier. God, Nikki Caldwell, so beautiful, isn't she? She is. Mm-mm-mm. I, I mean, I was a, I don't know teenager. Yeah, in the '90s when when Tennessee, UConn, those games are must be be. I'm was happily married, but I'm like, and even my wife would be like, "Well, she is so pretty." I'm like, "Who is that assistant coach? Short hair, long hair, curly hair, glasses. It didn't matter. He just jumped out." I'm like, "Wow!" But you know, you sound like you're. Uh, you sound like you haven't gotten over that crush. I kind of like that. Do tell, <laughs> do tell, man, do tell. Yeah, she's um, she's an attractive lady. I got it. You can't. Good night. Hey, I can't lie about it. Hey, and look, like and I let said, me tell you something. My, my wife was Harry, actually she said, she's, she's pretty, isn't she? I'm like, well, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm like, yeah. Harry, 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 the bottom line, let me tell you something. Like I tell my wife all the time about myself, when you got it, you got it. <laughs> That's, <sure. laughs> That's right. Yeah, sure. Definitely. So, yeah, we just had to do a little impromptu ranking. And, and I think one that gets overlooked, I've had some of my buddies that, Live here in Tennessee, a Tennessee fan. Is it Ellie Jolly? They say she gets some love too. Oh gosh, she was so pretty. Okay, yeah, I always forget her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice girl, Phil. I think that covers all the bases. Man, I gotta ask you before that you go. 
the, the playing of the guitar, the guitar lessons, we swapped emails about you coming on the show, which we're so grateful for. You said you do guitar lessons on Wednesday evenings? Do you, you teach others to play, or you take it on yourself? Or No, I, I teach, and so I played music for a long time, and it's really it's really a, another passion of mine, and um, it's good to diversify. It kind of keeps you, uh, I don't know what the word is, maybe sane. Yeah. And so I've got some students I teach during the week, and when you reached out to me, I told you, hey, I can do it after 7 o'clock because I have gu- guitar lessons till then. I, I have a couple kids that I teach today, and um, and then I've also playing a band tomorrow night I'm playing out. So I try to keep busy with that, keep sharp, keep all that stuff, and uh, we have a lot of fun, man. We'll be playing at a place called Clancy's tomorrow night down on Gay Street in Knoxville. And we really have fun, man. There you go. What's the name of your band? So we call ourselves Fountain City Ramblers, and we play a little bit of everything. We play a little bit of um, um, blues, a little bit of jazz, a little bit of bluegrass, a little bit of rock stuff, a little bit of old soul. We just we mix it all up, man. Cool, cool. I have to get down and, and meet you at a game or at a gig or something. My mother-in-law can flat out sing. She sings old soul, sings Aretha and all that. She, mm. she does different gigs. She goes to the Smoky Mountain Brewery a lot, uh, a lot of different places. And, you know, uh, she goes to um, Hot Springs, North Carolina, and does gigs. But uh, oh. he's into that and has business cards and, and books gigs at different places. And we got to come and listen to you guys and, you know, a lot of times they'll just call her up and she'll sing with the band and, you know, do her thing as well. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's neat, man. I, I was um, I was really, even even doing the radio thing as long as I did, I've, I've, I had like a severe performance anxiety for the longest time getting in front of anybody and playing music. And I've overcome that, thank God, and it's just been a real joy, man. It's it's fun to um, play music and bring joy to people. And I've got a buddy. We'll go to the park every once in a while. We'll just sit out there where the kids are playing, and uh, we'll practice our songs together and sit there and play. And um, those little kids, man, you never know. You might light a spark in somebody. That's very true. That is very true. Do you get on a regular Play, we play down there Thursdays before every home football game, so we got this one and another one to go. So, yeah, fairly regularly. Yeah, we we um and um and then we play there like um non seasonally, maybe once or twice a month. So it's enough. And then play around town a few other places. Bearden Hill Fieldhouse, we've played um, casual pint couple of those locations in town we've played. It's just fun, man. I just I just like getting out. But you can see me sometimes. I'll be sitting at one of our local parks um, out there trying to look sexy and cool strumming my guitar, you know? Uh-huh. That'll work, man. Well, I'll definitely have to catch you out of the gig sometime and, and, uh, and meet you, man. I appreciate you so much for taking the time to hop on the show and giving some insight on the balls and talk a little TV, talk a little Chip Kelly. And rank some Lady Vols. We did a lot of stuff in this segment, man. Thank you. You're, so and now wait a second here. You ranked the Lady Vols. Did y'all disagree? <laughs> no, we just we stayed out of that. Harry, did you stay out of that? I stayed out of that. I want to make sure. But I'm on the record here. You ranked the Lady Vols. Okay. Well, I was, they, my, my head said acting up. So 
<laughs> See, your partner over there was very silent while you were doing that, and I was very. I'm just, you know, I'm just coming along for the. I said she's pretty. She's pretty. Let's let's jump in. You're the man with the rankings. You're the, you're the man with. The, I'll go it alone. I'll go it alone. It's okay. It's all good. I'll tell you who was real pretty though, guys. No kidding. The the late who was the lady that Rick Pitino used to have as an assistant coach on his um, staff way back when? Oh, Bernadette Lock Beautiful lady. Yeah. Where is she now? Do you all know? I I don't know what. I'm not sure. I I know that you know once she left Kentucky, I think she did fall into another coaching gig, but I, that I don't know. That is a great question. I bet there. she's still really pretty because she was a really pretty gal. Yeah, sure was. But see that, but see me ranking is uh, is so much more egregious than that. But that's okay. That's oh okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm I'm again, I'm above the fray here. The whole rankings. <laughs> I tell you this though, guys, in this business, if you were ranking good looking talk show host, I'm right there at the top. Hey man, look, we ain't even we already knew. And we didn't even have to ask anybody. We didn't have to ask Miss Cecilio. We already knew. We already knew. <laughs> she would tell you. She would tell you I'm about half ugly. But anyway, she sees the real me. But listen, hey, listen, guys. Um, I want to invite anybody who wants to check out TonyBasilio.com. I'll have a new blog up there tomorrow. Working on some stuff for that as we speak. Um, and guys, thanks for the opportunity. Anytime you guys want me, man, like during hoop season or whatever, I'm here, man. So you have my number now. Text me. Okay. Well, we Sorry, certainly appreciate so. you coming on. Yes, hey, man. thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, guys. Tony Basilio, voice of the common fans, 11.8 a.m. WVLZ TV. That was some fun stuff, man. He was bringing it like we knew he would. Yeah, uh, and, and, and here we are, I think, for the third you know, week in a row where we've had uh, someone come on, preview Kentucky football game, and voice legitimate concern that Kentucky will win. That is is strange to me, particularly coming from a, a UT side where we have seen just one time in 30 years we've been able to win. But it's like we talk about with the uh, – if you if you do better, you've got to change a lot of people's minds, and and Mark Stoops has done that has done that this year. Yeah, he sure has. And um, if, if that proves true Saturday, well, two out of three won't be bad. You know, that Camille Rag picking Kentucky over Missouri, and he covers Missouri. Uh, came up just short against Georgia. Jake Bruce was picking Georgia, and now Tony Basilio picking Tennessee. So we'll take a quick break and uh, finish up these last 15 minutes of the show. This is Cash Talk Wednesday, Vinny Hardy, Kay Brown, Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Be right back in about two or three minutes.
and then I'm, I'm I'm really focused on the NBA. But my Lakers did defeat the Golden State Warriors this week. Uh, also end up losing to Dallas, which is kind of, you know, they're an uneven team right now, but we've got a lot of good teams. Y'all their first uh, win. <laughs> do what? Y'all gave them their first win. I did not know that. I, I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that makes me the, happy. That makes me happy. Yeah, was <laughs> With with a young team, there's going to be some ups and downs. You know, D'Angelo Russell came under fire with comments that this year is different because, you know, with Kobe being gone, he's no longer kind of the elephant in every room. Um, uh, and, but I'm okay with that because, honestly, it's, it's a true statement. Uh, with Kobe being gone, you can move on uh, from that. So, uh, so I'm definitely uh, uh, excited about what they're doing. I know the losses are going to be there this year, but uh, um, I, I'm I'm excited about that. So, uh, still a lot of, of going on in the NBA. Your man James Harden, he's on a run of 30 point 10 assist games, the longest. Such streak only to Michael Jordan. Anytime you get on a streak and Jordan's on the list with you, you know that you're doing a pretty good job, and, and, and he's doing that for your Rockets. So that's 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 great. Yeah, the, the offense is clicking already. Uh, Mike D'Antoni was quoted the other day saying he was <laughs> concerned about the defense. This is the end. I mean. I'm just glad he said the word defense and he is concerned about it. <laughs> so <laughs> but who who didn't see defensive issues coming uh already when, you know, they weren't super strong last year and then you got the, you know, Dan Tony who's our offense. Uh, the assistant coach, the assistant coordinator Justice Billick still has some work to do. But um I even I even jumped in on fantasy basketball league. With, with my buddy the other day, some of the guys that his brother works with, and it was an auto draft, so, you know, you just logged in and, you know, check back to who your team was. Happened to get James Harden, so, I mean, he's racking up <laughs> fantasy basketball points like nobody's business, so so that's cool. Um, and, you know, he kind of moved into the point guard, or I really just kind of said, you you are the point guard because I mean he had the ball in his hands a lot last year anyway, but now they just kind of really officially did it. But he's scoring and facilitating and and you know it's it's rolling for Hardy. So they give you stop, so all these points won't go to waste. That would be good. It really talking about making me sick. This made me sicker than seeing the Lakers. I haven't had to talk about the Lakers because they did beat the Warriors. Uh, Steph Curry out from three. Uh, he bounced back and set an NBA record at 13 against poor Anthony Davis and the Pelicans the next game. But the the Rockets lost to Atlanta and Dwight Howard. He's going to go 2 and 80 in the regular season. you got to beat the Hawks both times. You can't fool around and lose to Dwight Howard. And the Hawks. And I know the Hawks just went into Cleveland and beat Cleveland and they're good, but 
the recorded beef. There is no beef, and just the way it didn't work out for Dwight in Houston. And of course, every former player wants to, you know, stick it to their former team. But you know, the Rockets. It, it really disappointed me to see them lose that game to that guy. Nothing you can do about it now. But hopefully, when they come back to Houston, you can you can get revenge at least with that one to one. But I don't care if it was back to back to back to back. We played fifty eleven back to back. Still find a way to beat the Hawks and Dwight Howard, and they weren't able to do so. Uh, got got beat down. Lost one twelve to ninety seven. So that that kind of so that was that was a bad losing to the Lakers open tonight. <laughs> See there, 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 there you go with with your shot against my beloved Lakers. <laughs> oh well, but um, they they come on tonight at nine thirty. Uh, my Rockets will be in San Antonio, uh, taking on the Spurs. So I'm gonna you know take in a little bit of that action and and see how they do. It's already kind of been built as James Harden against Kawhi Leonard, and so we'll. We'll see what happens. Um, everybody tuning in right now, anything that goes beyond 8 o'clock will be available immediately on the podcast, blogtalkradio.com slash cat's talk. So um, we go off the air at 8, but the little secret to show talk are available on the podcast. But, um, you know, the Charlotte Hornets are 5-1. I've been looking at the standings. Like you, I, I get into it more after the football is over, but I'm I'm kind of keeping the the third eye is on the NBA. You got the second football, the second basketball, but my third eye is just peeping at the NBA. Uh, and MKG and the Hornets and them are, are off to a five and one start, so that's good to see. Paul uh, Anthony Towns and the T Wolves are struggling under Tom Thibodeau, so I, I hope. They can get it going. Uh, Carl is playing well. His team isn't, isn't able to win. We know that Quincy Davis is in exile in New Orleans. They, they're not doing any winning. Uh, and Archie Goodwin just got signed by the Pelicans. The Lance Stevenson experiment must be over. And Archie Goodwin uh, is no longer with Phoenix, and now he is in New Orleans. So you got A.D., Chance Jones, and Archie Goodwin playing for the Pelicans. Yeah, uh, I'm glad uh, that Archie found a, a, a new team to continue his dream. I, I think he's he's on that list of guys we kind of forget about, but it, it probably was – I don't think he was as beloved for his time in Lexington as he should have been. But here he is still, you know, finding an NBA home. He's been in the league a couple of years now, so he's, he's getting a chance to live his – Live his dream, so I want nothing but the best uh, for him. Absolutely. Oh, um, let's see. A couple of others you see. Oh, one moving to women's soccer. Bad to see that Coach John Lipsitz had been let go. Sorry, uh, put out a quick round of support and was thanking the BBN, and a lot of people replied back. Thanking him for everything he had done for the program and wishing him well in his next endeavor. And I know you and your daughter got to know him personally very, very well over the years, uh, going to games and hanging out with him and meeting him after the games. He came on the show with us, 
Uh, we had a fun time talking with him, so, you know, kind of sad to see that he's no longer be the head coach for the UK Women's Soccer Team. Uh, I, I got a chance to talk to my girls about that and just, I mean, devastated. I don't even know if that began to cover it. Uh, oh. But I explained to him this kind of stuff, you know, this this is kind of how these things work. And, and you know, uh, we're, we're going to reach out to him on a, on a personal side. But I, he was great for women's soccer. Uh, you know, they made it to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament in 2014. Uh, had a great, great uh, season that year. The last couple of years haven't quite matched that. So I understand it's a business, but as you said, um, we he, he really opened up the women's program to my girls who, you know, are, are uh, soccer players and, and, and me being a novice kind of soccer person really – uh, you know, I can't thank him enough for doing that. Uh, not for me, but but for my girls. You know how it is uh, as a parent. Anybody that that does right by your kids when they don't necessarily have to do that, uh, you know, you you really um, you thank him, and I thanked him publicly, privately for for what he's done for my university, for you know the women's program, women's soccer program. Uh, and, and, you know, for my girls. And I definitely hate to see him go, but I, I think he will definitely be a success uh, uh, wherever he wherever he lands. Exactly, exactly. Uh, eight seasons, had an 86, 61, and 19 record, uh, 39, 42, and 14 in the SEC. This last season, uh, 2016, Five ninety four overall, one seven three in SEC play, which were, had them thirteenth uh, in the SEC out of the fourteen teams. Um, so that it's just some, some bumpy water there towards the end. Uh, did right by you personally when you didn't have to, and that's a, a testament uh, of someone's true character. So uh, that speaks a lot about you and says a lot about you, and that will always go with you and and, and usually uh, bode well for you no matter what you're doing. Well, and the one thing I liked about him, he was upfront and honest and talked about how he wanted to beat Louisville. The Louisville game was a big game. And, 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 having, and he's going to leave us by, by beating Louisville head-to-head six straight times. So that's, that's a, a pretty remarkable feat right there. Yeah, so the, the – Next coach will have a large shoes to fill uh, in that department uh, when it comes time to pop. Uh, one final note before we roll out uh, regarding former cats. Uh, remember the 96 champ hung a banner, part of the greatest hard team ever, Antoine Walker, been hired by the SEC Network. So now we got two cats. Band, where we have Juan and Tony Bell, uh, who will now be doing their thing for the SEC Network. Uh, and good to see that for Antoine as well. And why does he shoot so many threes? Because there aren't any fours. That is my favorite <laughs> Antoine Walker quote. 
and I love it, and I love him, but he was a great player at Kentucky and uh, in the NBA, uh, you know, winning the championship uh, in bo- on both levels and being an all-star, being an all-conference uh, player in uh, at Kentucky. I've always said the greatest feat that Rick Pitino ever pulled off outside of his 2013 Louisville Cardinals, outside of the comeback at LSU, this that was convincing Antoine Walker he didn't need to shoot 20 times a game in 1996. That is his greatest coaching feat <laughs> because Antoine Walker is one of those guys, he never met a shot that he was not going to take. So I'm happy for him. Uh, one thing I, I like about Antoine, he has been very – candid and honest about how he was with his money. And I think that a lot of the young guys coming into the league and, and, and basically young people in general need to listen and, and heed that uh, heed that advice. So, you know, kudos to him. Again, uh, more Kentucky guys there on the SEC network for their basketball coverage, which you would expect uh, with Kentucky yeah. basketball. So definitely – you know, uh, I'm happy for him, and I know that the rest of the 96 team uh, and the Big Blue Nation are, are uh, happy for him as well. Absolutely. Just don't put a bow on another good show, man. Uh, you can everybody tuning in. You can always read what TV writes at uh, nationofblue.com as well as what we both write, cameramidradio.com. Thanks to Tony Basilio for hopping in and, and having a wonderful time with him on the show. Um, and, you know, we are confident now. We can be confident in the Kentucky football team, uh, confident that they're not going to come down here and embarrass themselves in New York Stadium. Uh, and they, they definitely will put themselves in position to win the game. I, I think the Cats will win. I think it'll be a comfortable win. I, I think the Cats win by 10 uh, on on the, the backs of, of Boom and Benny with some with some big plays down the field with uh, Jeff Bidette, uh with Juice Johnson. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think Timmons gets into the act this week as well because the one thing I didn't touch on, I meant to real quick, Steven Johnson's getting better. From when you look at his progression over the last six uh, weeks, he's 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 getting better. He's kind of getting a feel for the offense, and now I think the coaches believe they can take some chances with him. I think they do that. I think the Cats win. They they definitely definitely could. Uh, it's a lot more a wonderful game now than it was before the season. Um, I mean, the second game was Cindy, and if he was Cindy, and if they're going to take him, they been able to make some plays, uh, for sure. Uh, hopefully that running game shows up, uh, and then they can compliment that with some good shots. All right, another great show. Yes, sir. We'll close it out with that. And uh, see y'all.